Hey guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. I'm your host, Lawrence Stone, and today we are joined by Dr. Rohan Krishnan. He's currently an honorary clinical associate lecturer at the University of Sydney, lecturing private practice education, and is the board director and counsellor of the ADA New South Wales and board director of Filling the Gap Dental Charity. He's the practice owner of Dunbar Dental, student at UCID Master of Medicine, Oral Facial Pain Management. Rohan graduated from the University of Sydney with honours and has a strong reputation over the years and he takes pride in delivering evidence-based dentistry. Rohan's clinical interests include preventative and restorative dentistry, endodontics and oral surgery. Dr. Rohan Krishnan, welcome to the show. Lovely to sort of be on here. Uh, Can I call you Dr. Lawrence or is that too (laughs) formal? Lawrence is fine. Lawrence is fine. <laughs> so filling the gap is a great initiative um, that aims to improve the health and quality of life of vulnerable people uh, with poor oral health um, through the provision of pro bono dental treatment. We heard a little bit about it in an earlier episode with Dr. Roberta Vidula. Uh, but as a board member, tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think something that people have been asking me a lot lately because they've been wanting to get involved and I suppose that's the the big idea of this is that we actually do want people to be involved. Filling the gap is really set up to encourage volunteerism, volunteerism amongst the dental profession in a way that would allow for uh, practitioners to be able to give their time and their skills and their knowledge to be able to actually improve uh, healthcare outcomes for those who are vulnerable and disadvantaged, who can't access the, the care that you know, a lot of our patients in private practice are able to access and actually reduce that um, inequity in oral health outcomes. So it's something that's pretty close to my heart. I think it speaks to sort of where we are in Australia at the moment, where private practice and services that we offer in private practice, you know, so fantastic for the people that can access that, but those that can't, you know, fall through the net a fair bit. And I think that hopefully, if we can empower more of our profession to do a little bit more volunteering and do give a little bit back, then uh, we'll be all the better for it as a nation and 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 hopefully also bridge that gap between the haves and the have-nots. Sure. So before we jump into your current role as the clinical lecturer at UCID for private practice education, tell us a little bit about your CPD journey so far. Yeah, so my CPD journey, I suppose, started before I even did dentistry. So I did a Bachelor of Medical Science before that, which I, I know a lot of graduate dentists or dentists who end up doing a graduate program end up probably doing science or medical science. But I think what illuminated me back then is that I wanted to sort of learn everything around what made dentists work effectively, efficiently, and, you know, got the best out of their themselves um, for the betterment of their patients. So um, I suppose that's where my CPD journey started. And then since then, I've been trying to add as many layers as I can that is relevant for my clinical practice and where I want to go with my career. Fair enough. You mentioned, you know, endodontics, oral surgery. Did you do anything in particular 
to uh, focus a little bit more on those? Yeah, so I actually did probably the, the the best educational sort of practice I sort of got into was shadowing people. So I shadowed a lot of specialists, um, oral surgeons in theatre, um, and actually got uh, like really good clinical clinical experience watching um, oral surgeons in the hospital setting. Um, watch how they do what they do. Endodontics. Uh, I I did some really good courses in endodontics um, early on that sort of helped shaped my career in terms of just procedural methodology, just getting coming from a sound evidence base and knowing what to do and when to refer. I think that was crucial, like knowing the cases that you could take on and what you needed to palm off, as you probably well know as well. Um, you can always keep doing more and more, but I think finding that balance between learning to do more on the job, but also providing a really good outcome for your patients is a tough one that a lot of recent graduates face. And my biggest tip with that would be to watch, 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 watch some more. And if in doubt, um, sort of get some really good relationships with, with specialists and other dentists, mentors, people that you can reach out to and never be afraid to ask. Um, and I think if you go on that type, with having had that attitude of patient first, patient focused type attitude towards your clinical care, then you'll always do the right thing by the patient. So you will never really feel like you're taking on too much. You'll always be able to push yourself a little bit as well, as long as you have the support around you. Right. So I guess what you're saying is you spend a lot more to make those connections with your specialists um, and the people around you um, and build on that so that you can rely on and you can go to them for support and observe how they do it and kind of learn from Definitely. the best. Yeah. And, and also just, I think, speaking to um, mentors or uh, senior dentists within your own practice as well, that can be a really good source of um, support to rely on especially when you have a tooth that you can't get out or um, a file or like an access that you can't get into uh, any of those sort of situations where it's a little bit tricky and you can get and the your patients will be really appreciative if you just say look i'm just going to get a second pair of eyes and a, another pair of hands to just help, sort of help with this it's a bit tricky we're going to get you there but we just need four hands to make light work here and they'll really appreciate it i think if you show that you're willing to take that care and you can suspend your ego for that point of time, which shouldn't be that big when you're first starting. It shouldn't be that big ever. I think if that's the key to success. Some of the guys and, and girls that I see that are prospering, even at sort of the middle and latter stages of their career, they've always suspended their ego and they've taken an attitude towards um, lifelong learning. You can, you're never the best version of yourself. Just continue to learn, 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 and learn, and have that attitude, sort of that humility to continue to want to do give your best every time you see someone. Mm. Um, it's interesting you're talking about learn, learn, learn. I mean, you're you're a student at the UCID Masters of Medicine, hey, oral facial pain and management. I mean, tell us what you why you decided to do that and how you're finding it at the moment. Yeah, so that's yeah, it was, it's a funny one, Matt, because I think like a lot of my peers who sort of graduated at the same time as me went down sort of either a specialist pathway or they did. Um, implants or orthodontics to supplement their skill sets or they did more oral surgery to the point that they had got diplomas in that or whatever. Some of them just decided to um, just stick to dental, general dentistry alone um, and just sort of get hone their skills in that as best as they possibly could. Um, I, I, I'm a big believer of dentistry being a physician first profession. What I mean by that is that diagnostics and um, assessment and management of a patient starts with and finishes with 
empowerment and education of that patient to help get them the best possible outcome. Um, picking up the handpiece is not the last resort. I think we definitely use it almost every day, almost all the time. But I think if we have that mentality, then we're actually creating, not only are we creating value, but we're actually giving the best for our patients. A professor of ours once said, um, the best kind of dentistry is no dentistry. Um, and that's a very patient-focused um, scenario. But I think what ends up happening is we have to find ways that we can create value through not picking up the handpiece sometimes. And I think in, in that setting, orofacial pain management really appealed to me because I was using my brain more than I was using my foot pedal. And I love using my foot pedal, don't get me wrong. Um, I love a good crown prep or a, um, or you know, a tricky restoration just as much as anyone else. But I think what I'm trying to say is that I really do believe that we can create value for our patients and value for our practice and re patient retention rates if you can actually harness that part of dentistry, which is really untapped, which is that side of being an oral physician, whether it's doing saliva tests, taking radiographs and diagnosing, explaining periodontitis to your patients, and making sure that they understand the importance of recalls, um, talking to your patients about, you know, their where their pain's coming from and where, where it's originate, where that pain actually originates. Um, being able to give a proper diagnosis for various pain conditions, that, that sort of really um, excited me. And um, I'm really, I'm almost finished. I've got one semester to go in that um, Masters of Science in Medicine program. So it's a, if anyone wants to um, know a little bit more about that program, I'd be more than happy to speak to you offline about it. Just send me a text or a slide into my DMs. <laughs> So you're saying you, it's less clinical and more diagnostic and treatment planning. That's what this degree is more about. Is that right? Yeah. Look, I think what it's done for me is it's allowed to get my practice to be more collaborative. So I now get referrals from physiotherapists, from psychiatrists, from pain management specialists, from GPs, and it's actually a practice builder. And I think all of us need to look, if you just look at it from a purely business, like a what's in it for me business side, I think um, because not everyone's going to get excited necessarily about pain management, but if I can talk to you about the business side of things, new patients are really hard to get. And you'll see all these people using Google ads and you know search engine optimization and, and trying to tap into every possible resource to try to get patients in through the door to build their practice. And whether you're an associate or a practice owner, the mentality should be the same because it, as an associate, you're essentially got your own patient base that you have to build. So you should be running it like your own practice in your mind in terms of building your books. So where pain management has come into it for me is that I've created a niche for myself where I, I'm getting a lot of referrals from people who I wouldn't have got referrals from if I didn't go into a carve a niche for myself and be an expert in something or at least have a little bit more extra knowledge than the average dentist might have. Um, that certainly wasn't the idea of me going into it. I went into it um, with purely noble intentions and a real interest in it, but that's been the byproduct. Um, and I suppose that's something that I can share with people is that um, if you become an expert in something or you feel like you've got knowledge to share and you collaborate well, then people will actually refer to you and then your practice can become um, can grow through uh, that as a uh, sort of means, those means as well. So, yeah, I mean, we see everything in the practice now from, you know, uh, temporomandibular joint dysfunction 
uh, related pain to uh, trigeminal neuralgia pain, um, burning mouth syndrome, um, people who have anxiety or um, who are who have got depression and and sort of have um, multiple sort of uh, psychosocial contributors to their pain. Um, we get a lot of those people in, and I think sometimes people go, "Oh, well, you know, that sounds like it'd be really hard to manage." It's actually not. I think once you learn enough about it and learn sort of an evidence-based approach to treating and managing these kind of um, illnesses, you can get really good outcomes from it. Um, and your patients will love you for it and they'll refer more people to you. And that's how, that's one way of building your practice is through a really, you know, tried and tested way, which is word of mouth um, and referrals from um, other practitioners. Yeah. Is this um, something that, uh, you do yourself or do you do that with like a multi-disciplinary kind of approach? Like you still require other health professionals to kind of help work out some of these um, cases or do you feel like after finishing this degree that you can probably ta tackle it yourself as a dentist? That, that's a really good question, Lawrence. And I think it, the answer is it's case to case, case by case. So there'll be some people who I can, who I feel like I can completely manage their entire um, situation. I can completely read a sleep study now. So I can refer a patient for a sleep study um, and I can completely read, understand, interpret that sleep study just from looking at the graphs and then realize whether the patient has obstructive sleep apnea, central sleep apnea, whether they've got um, another type of you know, gastrointestinal reflux that is, is sort of contributing to their arousals at night and that's contributing to um, grinding or pain or um, a lack of sleep. There's a whole range of sleep disorders can go with that and whether there are things that we have that we can actually use to help the patients. Um, sometimes it, it, it can be something as simple as a occlusal adjustment. Other times it may, may need to be that there's an interference where you know a crown might need to be replaced or um, the patient might need a mandibular advancement splint or they may need an occlusal splint, but there are different types of splints and some splints are better than others, depending on whether the patient has joint pain or muscle pain, if it's myalgia or arthralgia. Um, there is, there's so many things that you can, I can go into, but what I'm trying to say is that there are some things that I can completely, I feel like I, I can completely treat myself or get to the bottom of, and it might be something as simple as a sleep posh position or that they're drinking too many coffees and having an in-depth understanding of what the patient does and what their social history is and how they interact, you as a general dental practitioner are probably best placed. You know the patient best. The pain management specialist, the orthodontist, the physiotherapist probably doesn't know them anywhere near as well as you do as a, as a general dental practitioner. Knowing their social history, knowing what they do with their life, their diet, their you know their social activities, knowing everything about them puts you in the best possible place to actually assess their biopsychosocial contributors to whatever pain they might be having and then be able to actually treat that as best as possible. So yes, in answer to your very long answer to your question, but in answer to your question, there are some that I feel like I can treat all by myself just with the snap of my fingers and say, you're going down from eight coffees to one and we're going to fix this problem. Your headaches are going to go away, you know, and sometimes it, it, it may. Um, another situation might be that we actually have to, sort of open up the airway space because they're, uh, the patient is, you know, considerably class two and has a retruded mandible and a small um, opening uh, into their sort of uh, airway space and they need 
And that might be in consultation with just one specialist. Much might, might be an orthodontist that we talk to and say, "Do you go? Is it worth them undergoing um, orthodontics, um, or do we just and or do we give them a mandibular advancement splint, or will just a splint do after post ortho?" Um, with some patients, it might not be that at all. Uh, it might be that, and they might have all sorts of other contributors. In which case. I might need to refer them to a physio. I might need to refer them to a psychiatrist. They might already be seeing a psychiatrist who actually referred them to us. Um, and yeah, so it, it really depends is, is the answer, but you can handle a lot of cases by yourself, but I think it almost empowers you, empowers your patients and um, gets the patients the best outcome if you can collaborate with other specialists and other medical practitioners as well. Mm. So, I mean, you might have answered this already. So of all these CPDs that you've been doing, you know, what's had the biggest clinical impact? I mean, it sounds like this one's pretty, you know, big impact, but, you know, apart from if not this one, or is there any other ones that's also had a good, uh, big clinical impact? Yeah, look, I mean, now being almost 10 years out, I love going to refreshers. So there's a couple of, a few around the country, um, ADO New South Wales do, uh, a couple of really good ones, usually once every year or twice every year. I think uh, Queensland does one as well. But the, I mean, there are a few of these courses that you can go to where you can just basically get the latest um, evidence-based update on the topics that you so choose or that you that you really want to get uh, further ahead with. So I think that's a really good resource um, that I I find. If you flip through the ADA New South Wales catalogue, you'll find there's a lot of courses there and I've used them. They've been fantastic. The infection prevention control one's brilliant. I think almost everyone has to do that, especially in the context of COVID-19. That one's a fantastic one. And the other one is if you actually go onto the ADA portal, you'll find that there's a plethora of videos and little seminars and things that you can click on that might be 30 or 40 minutes while you're waiting in between patients that really update you on the particular topic at hand. And those CPD courses for me have been really beneficial. Yeah, the ones that you find on the portal, is that what you're saying? Yeah, the, one, the ones on the portal have been fantastic. So I think, I think if you go look at the portal, look at the ADA New South Wales catalogue and then look for those um, update, uh, sort of the dental update ones that you can find all over the country where um, you're actually able to go in and, and get updated on the, least, the latest evidence-based perio, pros, ortho, endo, paediatrics, um, and just keep you up to speed. And for me, being almost, like I said, almost a decade out, that's really good to just continually rehash um, yeah. So, but, I mean, we've talked about CPDs that's had big clinical impacts. Have there been any CPDs that may not have been as beneficial to you at that time and you would do differently? Yeah, this is a bit of a controversial one, but I think the CPDs that I tend not to enjoy as much, the ones run by uh, dental product companies, I think, I don't know if it's a mental block of mine, whether I just sort of feel like they're just pushing their product down your throat but I feel like they tend to be very narrow and they tend to sort of look at their product and how you can use their product. So there's a few of the hands-on courses that can be like that. Just look out for it and just make sure that you're going to one where it feels like it's going to be presented by a balanced presenter who doesn't have any affiliation with that organization and can actually give you uh, a sort of a, an evidence-based balanced perspective rather than just plugging that product. So yeah, I, I'm a bit wary of those ones sometimes. Like I said, maybe it's a mental block of mine. I actually have been to a couple of really good ones as well. So it just really depends, I suppose. But yeah, 
that's depends on the presenter you're saying yeah it depends on the presenter yeah i i really do feel that if they're sort of how much they're affiliated with that particular product whether they um, they can look at anything else and that's why some of these other um, courses i think where they give you uh, a discourse on all the products that are available on the market which ones they use and why they find one better than another and what the research says they're probably the best ones to go to with hands-on courses of course yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Like, definitely um, doing a courses and you know webinars and all of that, you kind of realize that hands-on is really the only way that you can kind of move forward. Otherwise, if you're not applying it straight away, you're not kind of absorbing it at the same time, um, especially for those short ones. So, yeah. private practice education amongst the undergraduate seems to be something you're passionate and you're you're doing it. So, let's talk about that. You know. Um, I mean, I wish I had that back at university and, you know, I, I come from a family background that doesn't have any dental background. So tell us about how that kind of came about and, you know, why that came about. Yeah. So um, I noticed amongst uh, a lot of when I sort of first graduated, a lot of the dentists that I graduated with were competent dentists. They were confident with what they were going to go and do when they went out into the workforce, but they... The, the challenge or the learning curve that we were presented with in the first one to two years of graduation, I felt like we were swimming in the dark with so many things, like uh, sort of, you know, everything from um, understanding contracts to uh, and, and contract negotiation to life insurance and TPD to um, understanding how to read business profit and loss statements to um, dental software, navigating that. So, there, there are so many things that um, I found. Now, that's just the name, you know, 10% of the stuff that and you know as well as I, Lawrence, that there's, there's a lot of things out there that we just have no idea about. Um, you know how to do dentistry, you know how to be a dentist, but the actual, uh, the, the rest of it can sometimes be a really steep learning curve and quite underestimated. So um, I approached the dean at the time and said, look, I, I really do think that this is, and I've had conversations with him about it in the past, and I said, what do you think about, this is a program and I sort of showed him a fair few of the things that, um, you know, I was thinking about and uh, or spoke to him about it. And um, he said, yeah, I think that's got legs. And um, the university was already looking at doing some university of Sydney was already looking at doing some uh, supplementing uh, sort of private practice education for the students with uh, private practice visits and, and actually sort of, trying to streamline that into the program. So I thought it was a good way for me to dovetail into that. Initially, I was giving sort of a, a lot of the lectures by myself and um, I found that difficult because it's just one person's perspective. So I sort of started to recruit others who I felt could add value. Um, and yeah, it developed from there. So it, it's I'm, I'm actually giving a couple of lectures over the next two weeks to the dental students at University of Sydney. So if any of you are listening or, or watching, like come along and, and have questions armed for me because I'll be more than happy to answer them. But yeah, I, I suppose it's that's where it came from, Lawrence. And it really is something that I think we, we're going to see continuing uh, to continue to uh, evolve as time goes on as a really important bedrock of dental education. Yeah, I mean, we just had the Sydney University Dental Student Association come on not too long ago, just last week, and they were just talking about some of the struggles they're going through right now. And, you know, because um, they're in their first week of lockdown, um, I, I'm sure they'll definitely be looking forward to these webinars that you're going to be hosting. So yeah. is there any way, I mean, where do you want to take that role, if you can tell us anything about it? Oh, look, I don't, I don't have 
sort of any immediate ambitions for that role, but I definitely see that. I mean, I'd like to hope that once this is set up and it's actually something that is bearing fruit for the students, that it's something that even if I was to leave and, and not be a part of it anymore, that it would continue to sustain itself. That was the, the idea. It was The idea was never for it to be something that, as much as I love education and I love teaching, um, it was always something that I was I would hope that would be able to be sustained without me there. So, um, th- yeah, that's that's the goal, I suppose. Yeah. Fair enough. With the current New South Wales lockdown, can you help, you know, translate to the recent graduates who are watching the challenges that, you know, you as a practice owner may be experiencing that associates just don't understand? Yeah, well, I suppose one of the biggest challenges as a, as a, as a practice owner is managing your staff. So, I mean, everything else during a lockdown period is, I mean, the, my patients tend to be very, um, very discerning, incredibly understanding of the situation. So we don't have too many calls of people saying, why aren't you open more hours or why can't you see me for a checkup or, you know, whatever it is, why can't you do whitening for me this week? Um, people are pretty reasonable, so they understand. Um, and, and we're pretty reasonable too. If if somebody comes in and they say, they say they've got a sensitive tooth, under the current circumstances, we'll see them. And um, and by all means, it's it's more than fine for us to see them now. But I think, yeah, the hardest thing is probably staff management. So having staff, um, you know, you've got to make sure that all your dentists, so in my mind, I think all the dentists in your practice are getting an ability to actually come in and see patients. It's not just you. So there's a temptation if you're a practice owner to say, all right, all, all, the, all the dentists, you guys can take the next month off and I'm just going to hog the revenue. I'll just see whoever's coming through the door and you guys can take the month off. But that's, I think that's cruel. It's, it's unbecoming um, of, a, of a leader of any team. You want to empower your team, not dissociate them from the organization or the practice that you're a part of. So in my practice, we're all doing equal days, even though I do more days than everyone else. We're probably doing equal days during the week uh, or as close to it as possible with regards to um, seeing patients. And if there are people we've got, one practitioner who's um, pregnant and about to um, deliver soon. She's obviously not seeing people at all. And there are other practitioners that have other things going on. We um, will sort of work together to try to make sure that we're all um, getting what we want out of it. Um, and for the, for, as far as dental nurses and receptionists and people like that, that's really hard because their hours are reducing. So whilst, um, whilst our hours are reducing, their hours are also reducing. They may not be seeing as many uh, clocking as many hours as they usually do. And that can be a real um, strain on the practice owner because you feel the pressure of them not receiving their usual wages and you worry about whether they're going to be able to get through the next month or not. So those sort of things are, are tricky to navigate. Um, I know for a fact that other practices have had other issues where some practices are going hammer and tongs close to business as usual and some practices are closed so how do you justify that to your staff how do you justify that to your team depending on which line of action you take um, it's really tough if you're a practice owner to make those decisions if you're an associate you just go with what's been given or what you're told Um, and so to have the weight of that responsibility can be difficult Um, but as I like to see it uh, to say to take a quote from the great Caleb Dressel, who's been featuring at the Olympics at the moment as a US swimmer who's won a whole stack of medals, he says, um, pressure is good, stress is bad. So um, 
pressure is fine. It's something we all have to deal with. And as long as it doesn't stress you and, and get you down in the doldrums, then I think you've got to embrace it and do what you can to make your team as ready to bounce back as possible when this all goes away, because that's what I'm ready my team for. So take your break now, do whatever you can, because when we go back to working full bore, we know what happened last time. We were at 120% of normal for the next six to nine months, just trying to catch up with everyone that wanted to get in for treatment. So yeah. Yeah. Pedal to the metal. Hey, um, I guess you you bring up a good point. You know, stress is really just, um, it's how we handle it, isn't it? At the end of the day, um, it's, you know, what we impose on ourselves or how we perceive it and all of that. Um, that's a kind of good interlude to what we're going to talk about next, which is you're a fellow uh, podcaster as well on ADA New South Wales for outside the mouth series, which kind of talks about this mental health thing. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, I suppose it, it's it sort of started or spawned from this lockdown last time and a lot of people were going through, um, this time last year, we were going through a lot of sort of um, anxiety issues, mental health issues. People already had them pre-existing. Uh, some people found it really difficult during that time. And uh, the, the first people that approached us was the DBA, Dental Board of Australia approached us and said, look, we've got this helpline that we're going to, launch can you help us with launching it and at the same time i was already thinking of doing um, a podcast series that focused on the practitioner and their well-being and so i actually um, took that as an opportunity to to start to interview people about it and how they cope with it Uh, and i'm going to do it again this year Uh, last year i managed to interview a media personality and boxer i interviewed um uh, the chair of the Dental Board of Australia. I interviewed an um, ex-SAS um, officer, an anaesthetist and a helicopter pilot. Um, and I also interviewed John Brogdon, who's the chair of Lifeline Australia, chairman of Lifeline Australia, was the former opposition leader in the New South Wales uh, Liberal Party. So, um, yeah, I, I, that was fascinating doing that. And I've got a few more. I can't say who they are, but I've got a few more heavyweights lined up this year for you know for interviews so you know stay tuned for that if you go on spotify or any wherever you get your podcasts from uh it's the dental practitioner and it's outside the mouth that's the podcast that um that you if you want to go check it out go for it and hopefully you get something out of it awesome awesome well uh that pretty much wraps us up for today um dr Rohan krishnan thank you for coming on the show so how can the people um find you and get in touch with you yeah, so uh, probably um, the Grams, probably the easiest place to go. I'm Ronnie Chris, Ronnie underscore Chris on Instagram. Um, just slide into my DMs. <laughs> perfect, perfect. And then we'll definitely look out for that um, outside the mouth um, series coming. That's coming up with those heavyweights. I'm interested to find out who they are. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for your time. No worries. Thank you. If you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.